today on Stick to Football. Happy birthday to Mello. I'll be right back. I had to go off camera. Can you put that happy, on? Happy no. birthday, Mello. We wanted to, we oh, wanted okay. to surprise Beers? you. Yes, of course. A uh, big cheers for Mello's birthday. Uh, since he will not be in London with us this weekend, he will be in our hearts, though. And we wanted to wish him a big go. happy birthday. So me and Matt planned a little surprise. And we were not going to yeah. wait oh, until okay. draft on draft. Right, Matt? <laughs> right. No, we were like, we're doing the beers now. But we didn't want to put the cans on YouTube. So you gotta pay I, had for that to, action. I had to disappear and get off screen and pour a beer. There's more where that came from. So happy birthday, Mello. Make sure everyone tweets at the man at mellow it's just like jello but with an m and uh let him know happy birthday happy 32nd i'm going to miss your birthday for the first time in your life yeah in 32nd years (laughs) i am torn up about it but we have a good show planned for mellow's birthday we're going to get some pickums and preview like we always do our top five this week is a great one we are going to draft our top five players in the 2020 draft class so far we're going to look at uh, your draft on draft questions what's happening around the league we're going to blind review redskins at vikings but boys as always we do have to update you on tailgate tour we got two great ones connor you and i will be in london England this Sunday, the 27th, from 4 to 6 p.m. at O'Neill's Irish Pub on Carnaby. <laughs> yeah, we'll, we'll be there for until whenever. You guys know how tailgate tour goes. Like, we have to put a time on there, but at least six. Yeah, at least that's six. usually like the that's a good way to put the it. time that we've agreed on to be there is until six. They are not going to kick anybody out. Lesson, I, lesson learned at Ohio State when we were there 15 hours. It's like, yeah, we're going to put a closing time, even though there's probably not a closing time. Ohio State, that was that was a really good tailgate, but... The longest. I wouldn't want to do it again. <laughs> Columbus was great. It was just the weather. Yep, it was. And then, if you want good weather, Alabama LSU will be on the quad. This game is announced at 2.30 kickoff, so I believe they will let us start tailgating at 7 a.m. We're going to have food catered. We're going to have tons and tons of beer. We'll have a 20-foot by 20-foot tent. We have cornhole that Mello and I are bringing down. We're going to have a lot of fun. We're going to be recording the podcast at both these spots, so come out, get your free koozie and all and that. And try to beat Matt at cornhole. I can't officially announce it, and I haven't even told you guys yet. But we might have a really big <laughs> surprise down at the quad on Alabama. I can't give it away yet, but when I officially Squirpers. can, we might have oh. a really big... I mean, it would be the biggest tailgate surprise that we've ever had. Let's just say that. Well, Church's I know phone. that uh, our old intern Walker will be there. I don't know if that's, that's what you're I talking about. I love Walker. And I know it's not on that level. <laughs> Adam Kramer will be there. Not on that level. Adam Heisler. I feel like I, Adam Heisler will I be there. I almost have to text it to you guys right now. Do it. Yeah, please. please do. Yeah, please definitely do. do. My phone's yeah. right here in front of me, so text it to us. I heard a rumor about someone, so I hope it's the same person, because I will flip my shit if this person is coming. Uh, oh, I'm no, so that's a big yeah. one. So. Okay. <laughs> I'm excited, Yes, yeah, so you'll want to be there. I'm really excited. Well, let's get into the show now. All right, it's almost Halloween. One last thing. Don't forget, if you dress up as a host from Stick to Football, post a Twitter of it, a Twitter or an Instagram of it, the best costume gets $100 out of my pocket. So even if you hate me and you somehow still listen to this podcast, do this so that you can take my money. $100 goes to the best costume. All right, let's finally get into it. Quadre Diggs, uh, a good friend of the show, traded this week. I I talked to Q, and I know the story has come out now. He was napping. And he went to sleep a lion, and he woke up a Seahawk. Um, I don't believe that he's super upset about this trade because going to Seattle where his guy Puna Ford's there, uh, Seattle, the culture in that locker room is amazing. I would also say Seattle's a better city than Detroit, but that's neither here nor there. I think Quandre is going to be a big fit for them playing free and strong safety. He could play some nickel corner. He's going to fit in really well in that secondary. I agree. I think this is a great addition by the Seahawks. They go and get him on the cheap, too. Gave up a fifth-round pick, but get back a seventh to go with it I, I i love the way that he's going to fit into this defense he is an ultimate character locker room guy i mean just look at the lions tweets and how they responded to this guy leaving a lot of people probably don't know him or know the impact that he's going to make but he is a great player who's going to play almost every position in that secondary and for the seahawks that's great it's another depth piece but it also brings that veteran leadership a great guy and have him and Puna Ford, who are two of my favorite Longhorns and two of my favorite guys in the NFL. Like, let's go. I, I love this trade. I'm so happy for Q that he's going to get to be on a playoff contingency. And, and my question for you guys is, looking at Quandre Diggs, who has two more years left on his deal at a very, very affordable base salary of $5 million that could be cut, 
what was the reason behind this? Because the Lions haven't, they're not in an awful spot this year where they need to be just right. selling off players. So what I heard uh, was that the Lions had kind of fallen out with okay. him, that they wanted to play some of the younger guys. I think his tackling went down a little bit this year. And anyone who knows Matt Patricia knows, like, that's a huge thing for him. So it is it is too early for this to be like, oh, they weren't going to re-sign him anyway kind of move sure. because, like you said, there's, there's years left, and he's very inexpensive. So I, I think they just saw an opportunity to maybe get the the best value they could find right now. And speaking yeah, of so, finding that value, yeah, uh, somebody that it. we might be talking about as someone traded soon is Robbie Anderson. He is on the block, of course, right after we did our show, our midweek show, Matt. I had this news. Uh, I found out this news that Robbie Anderson, the Jets will move him this year if the right offer comes along. I know they wouldn't last year. They got calls. One of those teams that called was the Philadelphia Eagles offering a third or fourth round pick. The Jets said no. That was a different regime. Now, the Jets' new regime is much more open to moving him and I think part of that is that you see the price that someone like Mohamed Sanu brings back as a second round pick Robbie's a pending free agent the Jets are not making the playoffs this year they're probably trying to get some value back for him so I just wanted to bring that up on this show after reporting it that Robbie Anderson could be on the move very soon yeah just definitely want to point out that Connor had it first Uh, it's funny how that works Connor had it first it's nice that Connor had it first it kind of sucks that one of your guys is like potentially leaving it sucks for sam darnold probably sucks for you but if the price is right i think you have to move anybody price is wrong i mean i think you'll get emmanuel sanders value like connor said sanu's value receivers yeah, you're gonna get like a second yeah. back i don't think you, yeah i mean i don't think you would for, not Robbie, for Robbie anderson but i think a team that has to make that call is the philadelphia eagles uh, because of the need at receivers need for speed at receiver especially and i, I want to drop this in here another team a lot of people have said oh they need a receiver is the buffalo bills and i've been told that they are not expecting in that front office to make any moves uh before the trade deadline which is tuesday so don't expect to see any activity from the bills i also i mean i don't know that we'll see anything from the chiefs i said that on the wednesday show so two teams that you know the bills are five and one the chiefs are five and two right now well i don't expect any any movement from either of those clubs as we head into it uh, one big surprise before we get into a little bit of of draft history to end this segment josh gordon was cut this week and it was weird because i was off twitter and the news came across that he was being put on IR, designated for release. And But then Albert Breer, um, who's the Sports Illustrated, was tweeting about how Josh Gordon was running 22 miles an hour and like feels like he's close to being healthy. So it was, it was kind of confusing because like, why is he being cut? And then there's this report that he's running 22 miles an hour, which is very specific. And I think this is a, the thing where like, okay, he is being put on IR. He's going to be released. And the Patriots are doing this very strategically because if you are a veteran after the trade deadline, you have to go through waivers. So if they cut him right now, he doesn't have to go through waivers. If they cut him Wednesday, he does. So a team like the Miami Dolphins, Cincinnati Bengals, anyone could claim him. So if you're the Patriots, you're basically keeping this guy. And to, to make sure he doesn't go to a contender because you don't want Josh Gordon going to Green Bay, whoever Green Bay or anyone in the AFC. You don't want him going to Buffalo, yeah. Like you don't want him going. Yeah, yeah, I mean, Kansas City, point. they don't need him. But my God, yeah. Or the Ravens, you know, like you don't want him going to the Colts, the Texans. So the Patriots are basically controlling where Josh Gordon can end up by doing this. It's just one of those like inside it's baseball another things. loophole that. Wild Bill finds like the offsides yes. penalty in the Jets game. Like this dude, he just knows all of them, and he's taking advantage of this again. Uh, it sucks for Josh Gordon, but the rules there, and you know the Patriots are going to take advantage. Yeah, it was of interesting it. seeing his yeah. comment on Instagram too, where you know he kind of had like the thinking uh, emoji, where mm-hmm. you know he's probably sitting right. there saying, "All right, well, it happened to me. What happens to a lot of people here?" Yeah, and it's with Josh Gordon. You just never know. All right. With a little bit of draft history this week, uh, one thing that I've been asked a lot about, and I do local radio in Chicago, so this has been topical. Why was Mitch Trubisky QB1? And I've answered this question. I actually went on Twitter this week and raised my hand and said, hey, I was wrong. I missed on Mitch Trubisky. And I think as evaluators who are front-facing, we need to do that. We need to tell our readers and listeners and viewers when we're wrong and also talk about why we were wrong and what we learned. So I've had a little bit of an opportunity to do that. But I wanted to I wanted to jump into it on the podcast because I feel like it's just a good conversation with Trubisky. And I'll give you the the 
condensed version. I believed that a one-year starter at North Carolina with good accuracy and good athleticism would only get better. I really thought, okay, we've seen the first step with him. He's going to get better. And as people who evaluate the draft generally, not for a specific team, when I looked at Mahomes, I saw a quarterback who needed time to acclimate. And I think we've we've talked to Pat on the show and the first interview I ever did with him, he admitted that. I needed time to learn. Alex Smith gave me that opportunity in Kansas City. So I don't know if Pat had gone to Cleveland or Chicago. We would be talking about this level of success this early. I do think he would have got there. With Deshaun Watson, a lot of people I think have forgotten uh, that he turned the ball over a ton that last year at Clemson. And obviously we were wrong to focus on that, or I was wrong to focus on that, because he is still playing like he did at Clemson, like when he beat Alabama. You know, he is... So clutch. He's so poised. He's such a great playmaker. Guys generally are who they are in college at the quarterback position. And I think we're seeing that with this class of of three in that 2017 draft. So I just wanted to raise my hand again on the show, basically, and say I was wrong. And the reason was I expected Trubisky to develop much better than he has. And what did I learn from that? What I learned is at the quarterback position, I mean, you have to count scheme, but guys are just, they really are who they are. If they throw interceptions in college, they're going to throw interceptions in the NFL. If they fumble in college, they're going to fumble in the NFL. If they're not good in college, they're not going to be good in the NFL. Yeah, I have my own like little theories when it comes to scouting quarterbacks, and I know that everybody's dying to hear it. I, I'm good with guys that are accurate in college. I think that the NFL arm, as your body grows as a quarterback, your arm strength is usually going to catch up. So I like guys that are accurate in college. I wasn't high on Trubisky. I didn't like him. I really didn't like him at number three. I didn't have him as the number one quarterback in that class. I had Watson. But I think we're still going back and we're still seeing a lot of that. A lot of people fall in love with the arm talent, arm strength, and potential. The only guy that that's ever really burned me on is Pat Mahomes. I had him as QB4 in this class behind Trubisky. And Deshaun Kaiser, which is not a great yeah, look I didn't now. Have it that bad, at least. <laughs> uh, but I, I really, I did not think that he was going to have a successful career. But at least I can say that I had Watson number one, and that's all we need to talk about. Don't talk about who was two or three or or four. I had Watson one, and I feel pretty good about. Yeah, that. it's the same for me, Mello, where I feel great about having Watson number one. But I thought Trubisky would be better than this. I think that's where I have issue. Is this is just. He's not a starting level quarterback right now. And I think he had the tools to become one and it just hasn't worked out. Now, it, part of that has changed my evaluating process. And, and also it's interesting because a lot of, a lot of NFL guys did not like Watson. And it's crazy because of how much he won at the college level, uh, doing it with whether it was the deep ball, whether it was his running ability, really the ability to improvise is huge. And I think we could take some of this conversation and carry it to this year's class where I look at Tua's traits and how accurate he is and his feel in the pocket, and I think as long as he could stay healthy, which is a big question mark right now, I think Tua will be a pretty good NFL quarterback. I feel very confident in saying that. While you have some of these guys that have tools like Eason, Herbert, Jordan Love, I don't know if they'll be good NFL quarterbacks right now. I think they have a lot of developing ahead of them. Yeah, and I think like even Josh Allen, a player I really liked coming out of Wyoming that you two weren't as high on. Yeah, he, the struggles that he had at Wyoming, guess what? He's still having a lot of them in the NFL. The way he beat people at Wyoming, that's how he's beating people in the NFL. So, I mean, not that people can't develop and get better, but for the most part, guys are who they are. You can maybe make their good traits a little better, but their bad traits are, are I think, always going to hide or always going to be uh, standing there a little bit that you can't hide. All right, Mel, let's get into blind review this week. It is a scorcher of a game, buddy. Redskins at Vikings. The matchup that we've been waiting for since these two quarterbacks switched teams. We have the Redskins at the Vikings, and Dalvin Cook goes for 150 yards and two touchdowns. I won't say anything about his health because I don't want to jinx it, but good for you, Vikings fans. Cousins, you get the redemption against your Redskins. Good for you. Good for your fans. Great win here for Minnesota. Yeah, you like that? Kirk Cousins like that. I love that he went off at the end of this one. And even without Adam Thielen, it's nice to see Stephon Diggs continue to be a focal point in this offense. It's amazing what an apology will do. A lesson we could all learn from Kirk Cousins. Uh, just say sorry and start throwing people the ball. Like you said, Melo, Dalvin Cook went off. And that Minnesota defense, early in the year, we didn't talk about them because we talked about the offensive struggles. But my God, did Washington's offensive line look They terrible. looked awful. We saw Case Keenum on the ground five times. He was sacked five times in this game. 
game. And I got to say, I think Daniil Hunter is the most underrated pass rusher in all of football. And he got his spotlight on Thursday night as the Vikings demolished the Redskins. It is time to preview and pick the college football slate. And the big one, guys, my goodness, 13 Wisconsin at number three, Ohio State. Illinois played upset last week. Otherwise, this would be a three versus six game, probably. Wisconsin is the dog by 14 and a half, though. I actually texted our buddy Ryan Hurd today, and I said, take Ohio State. Take the over. I, I think they I think they cover the spread. I think you get yeah. the over this week. I love the Buckeyes in this one because they can stop Jonathan Taylor. And we saw Illinois. If you can just slow him down enough, you can beat Wisconsin. I think Ohio State rolls in this one. I, I'm going to disagree with you and agree with you. I like Ohio State in this one. I do think it's going to be a very close game, though. I'm impressed with this Wisconsin defense. I think they can hold these guys close. I think they can run the ball. I'm going to take the under. In this one, I don't think there are going to be a lot of points scored. I think this is going to be a defensive battle. A lot of people have been talking about Justin Fields, J.K. Dobbins, this receiving core. This Ohio State defense is not just two great prospects leading the herd. This is a very good group of guys from the defensive line, linebacker depth, secondary might be the best in the nation. This is a good defense. I think we're going to see a traditional Big Ten game. Not a lot of points, a lot of running the football, a lot of controlling the clock. Yeah, I struggle to see how Wisconsin scores in this game. That's the biggest question for me. And I think you look at Ohio State, the level of athlete they have at every skill position, I think it'll in the end it'll be too much for Wisconsin. I do believe Ohio State covers that big line in this game. Do you guys know J.K. Dobbins only has 10 yards less than Jonathan Taylor on the year? That's and pretty, he's and he has a huge 23 year. less carries. Just the little things that you might not know that I try to teach you on Stick to Football. All right, number nine, Auburn at number two, LSU, trying to play spoiler before the Alabama game. LSU's favored by 10.5. It's in Death Valley, and I am taking our Tigers, boys, because, yes, we were adopted into the LSU fan base last year as long as they're not playing Texas. I don't see any way, like you said, I don't see any way Auburn can score in this one. I I know Melo's been down on Bo this year. I think rightfully so. For me, this game is about the test of Joe Burrow against a top-tier SEC defense with Nick Coe, with Derek Brown, who's a top-10 player for me. Can Joe Burrow rise to the occasion like they did in the second half against Florida? LSU's got to be careful this week because if they come out flat like they did in the first half against Florida, is Joe Brady going to be able to adjust? But I do think that LSU can slow down that Auburn run game. It's a 2:30 game in Baton Rouge. You all know how wild it's going to be down there with Mike the Tiger and everybody uh, puking up their gumbo by the time of kickoff. But I, I do like LSU in this one. It's 10 and a half. I don't. I think I would take Auburn as far as the spread goes. Yeah, I think I would too. I like LSU. These guys are scoring 50 points a game. 50 points a game. I think LSU. Or, I'm sorry, Auburn can slow them down with guys like Derek Brown getting some pressure on in the interior. I think he, he's going to have a good game, and he's going to have to if they want to keep them from scoring points. But I'm going to go back to that Auburn side of the football on offense. I don't think that Bo Nix can do anything against this secondary. We know about guys like Fulton and Delpit, but Stevens at safety and Stingley at corner. Stingley is the best corner on this team. And I know that he is just a true freshman. He has been very good this year. I think a lot of opposing quarterbacks have been like, okay, let's go after the freshman. We don't need to test the senior corner who's going to be very good. But Stingley has been very impressive. Uh, Top of the nation in in passes deflected. I like him. I think Bo Nix is going to throw three, four interceptions in this game. I think LSU wins it pretty easily. Yeah, I'm with you there, Mello. I just think that you look at the ball skills from Stingley. He's been so good when up the opposition has attacked him. Fulton's really good. I know Delpit hasn't really popped off the screen, but the point is they have an NFL-level secondary. I don't see this Auburn offense doing anything. I think the off, uh, Auburn defense, especially the front seven, has enough firepower to keep them around in this game, especially in the first half. I think maybe this will, the first, this will be the first time this year we see Joe Burrow look a little human for a little while, but there is no reason LSU should lose this game, especially in the toughest place to play in college football. I think Joe Burrow is actually Superman, and no one can stop him. I can't wait to see him against I'm, Alabama. I'm still just going with the theory that they knocked something loose against UCF, and whatever it was, he woke up with superhuman strength. You remember that strength. movie, Rookie of the Year, with the kid who broke yeah, his arm? Broke his arm. <laughs> I'm yeah. waiting for Joe Burrow to have to throw underhand. Like, someone's going to hit him, and he's going to have to go back to he's soft He's going to have costs. to bring out the ethos right, to right. get Mom's, past Alabama. Mom's going to be in the stands going, 
<laughs> if you're watching on YouTube, that was funny. If you're listening, that made no sense. Right. What is he doing? Sorry, everyone. Right. Michigan is working on their night moves, boys. 6.30 kickoff against number eight Notre Dame in the big house. This one is even, which tells you exactly how Vegas feels about these teams. The over-under is set at 52, which, God, I don't know if either of these teams can score 26 points or not. But upset special for me if you can call the home team the upset when the the push is even but I do like Michigan in this one I think Notre Dame as we were talking about off air Notre Dame is due for a little bit of a letdown it seems like one of these happens every year I don't think Michigan is as bad as we have made them out to be they, they've really been better as of late I know they, they lost to Penn State last week as we expected but I feel like with all the Harbaugh talk this week about will he go to the NFL, is there an exit strategy, I I do feel like that defense is going to clamp down. I I don't know. I'm still not sold on Michigan. I'm going to (laughs) take Notre Dame in this one, Matt. I'm not sold on either of these Uh, teams. I'm not either, but I really was impressed with the way that Notre Dame played against Georgia a couple weeks ago. They get a win against Virginia. They let USC play them close, but that's an offense that can just score points against anybody. I haven't seen that out of the Michigan offense. I watched them really shit the bed against Wisconsin. They couldn't move the ball against Iowa. The Penn State game, I liked how they stayed in that game. They lost 28-21, to but I tell you, that game was never seven points close. It, it, Penn State was in control almost the entire game. I'm going to take the Fighting Irish here. I think they can go into the big house. Get a W here. I'm just, Shea Patterson's not doing it for me. I think that he's probably going to have some turnovers. Notre Dame wins this game. I'm kind of shocked this is even. This might be one of my bets of the week, like real life bets. I'm going with Notre Dame. I know, Matt, I said it to you before the show, too, that they are due for a disappointment. They, they really are, which scares me to say this, but I can't bind to this Michigan team at all. Shit, Jim Harbaugh might be already interviewing for Adam Gase's job at this point. You hope. When it comes down to it. So I'm going with Notre Dame all the way in this game. All right, this is really a three-game weekend. Yeah, and it three was tough, great ones. Three great games. It was tough for me to find two more to pick. Boston College at Clemson. I put this in here because the line <laughs> is 34. But the way Clemson has played this year, I might be tempted to take Boston College and the points because I don't know. Boston College is not a good football team, obviously. But Clemson, I don't know that they're 34 points better than anyone right now. Clemson will win this game, obviously. It's at Clemson, but... That 34 points is very, very It's tempting. a big line. Yeah, especially when you have a big guy like A.J. Dillon, who you know is going to take a lot of carries. So can Clemson score 34 points? Yeah, they can. I, I'm going to take Clemson. I'm going to take the points. I'm I mean, still waiting for Trevor Lawrence. Clemson's only scored 40 a game. So you're saying that they're going to hold Boston College to six points? No, I think they score more than 40, though. Oh, okay. I'm going to say like 52 points. I I really think that they can go off against this Boston College defense. I haven't been that impressed. Uh, The heart and soul of this team has not been Trevor Lawrence, Travis Etienne, or these receivers. It's been Isaiah Simmons in this defense. I think they're going to create turnovers. They're going to say, okay, you have A.J. Dillon. Now we have nine people in the box. Good luck against our secondary and our hybrid linebacker safety all-world defensive player who's just going to run all over the field and shut it down. Now, I don't think Boston College can score against this defense. I think they're going to find enough turnovers for Clemson. I think they're going to find enough uh, pop plays where it's a big receiver play or a Travis Etienne run where they're going to score a lot of points. Yeah, I mean, it's. I don't know if I feel comfortable picking the line just because Clemson has been turnover happy this year. That is a really big line, but there is no reason this should be a good game. And there is absolutely no reason Clemson does not win big. Can I bet you another eyebrow notch on that line? A notch, yeah. A notch? You yeah. want to you bet a notch? On the, what, 34, 34 points? Yeah. Okay, I really don't have eyebrows. You don't have eyebrows. You gotta like shave back to a mustache or something. I'll go back to a mustache if they can. I'll notch an eyebrow. Okay, there you go. Everybody heard it here first. And all right, last game, USC Colorado. This is a Friday night game. USC favored by 13 and a half. The over under 64. I'm taking USC. I I mean, we've talked about them a lot this year. Just don't really know who they are week to week, but I know this. Get Michael Pittman Jr. the football, and you're probably going to be okay. I also really like the young defense that USC has. Like They they have some guys who've been playmakers. I mean, they almost beat Notre Dame. They looked very good against Washington at times, even though they lost by two touchdowns, and they did beat Utah. So, I mean, looking at the three times they've played, 
good competition this year. They've been either really, really close or they won that game, like I said, against Utah. So I think Colorado is just not good. They've lost three in a row. They've lost four of their last five. This should be an easy win for USC. I agree with you. Looking at this points, I think the thing to watch here is how many points can USC put up. Uh, The over-under is set at 64 I don't think that USC can do that on their own, but I am going to take the over in this game. Uh, Colorado can't stop anybody. They let Arizona score 35, Oregon score 45, and Washington State score 41. I think this is a very good USC offense who's just going to have their way on Saturday, putting up a lot of points against this Colorado team. Yeah, Colorado hasn't been competitive in weeks. I mean, they just got blown out back-to-back by Washington State and Oregon by huge margins. They've lost to Air Force. I mean, they yeah, they had one nice win over Arizona State. That win was fool's gold at this point. I think USC actually covers that 13-and-a-half line in this game. All right, Melo, it is time for your game of the week. And I'm going to go with a little bit of a surprise because this is the super underdog locksmith game of the week to bet your money on because I don't have the nuts to bet my own money on. We were all very high on Nebraska this year coming into the season. Adrian Martinez is a Heisman (laughs) contender. Uh, Scott Frost is a coach of the year, and it's not going that way. They play Indiana this weekend, and I am taking Indiana to win this game. They're plus two and a half. I like what they're doing. You look at this team, they've played in games with everybody. They just beat Maryland. They killed Rutgers. They were up there with Michigan State. Yeah, they got their asses kicked by Ohio State, but everybody is. I like them to win over Nebraska this weekend. Go put your money on that game. It is time to look at our top five players for the 2020 NFL Draft, but it's actually top 15 because we are drafting it and we're going to let Connor go first this week. A little bit of a change-up. Uh, we're throwing some love to the East Coast. Well, I'm glad you did because this makes my life very easy. Number one overall, I am taking Chase Young because guess what, guys? He's my number one overall player on my board right now. It's that simple. If you need an extremely talented edge pass rusher that's good against the run, it's a high IQ player, good athleticism, he's strong, he's powerful, he does everything you need, you go with Chase Young. So number one overall pick in our top five prospects draft is my number one guy, and I know you guys agree it's Chase Young. Yeah, I I definitely do. He's my number one guy, too. And honestly, I don't think he's going to move off that spot. Number two guy for me, though, I'll go ahead and take him. That's Jerry Judy. I I love him as a prospect. I know that his numbers aren't up there as much, but I really think the defenses are making him the focal point. Uh, They're going to say, let Devontae Smith beat us. Yeah, Henry Ruggs is fast. We'll manage him. But this Jerry Judy guy can do everything. He might not be 4-2-4. 40 speed, but he's 4-4. He's an exceptional route runner, great hands, deadly after the catch. I mean, CeeDee Lamb, Jerry Judy, those guys, you do not want them to get the ball because they can take it to the house from anywhere on the field. I'm very happy to get him here at the number two spot. So I actually have those guys ranked one, two as well. I think Judy runs in the four threes, by the way. He's, really? He's a cheat code. He absolutely is. And I'll, I'll add a little content here. Khalil Mack is my comparison for Chase Young, and Odell's my comparison for Jerry Judy. So they're really, 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 really good players. Who was it for Chase Young? Khalil Mack. Mm-hmm. Yep, yeah, he's well, he's okay. He's good. All I've right, heard so, of that name before. So I get the I get two picks here on the turn. The number three player on my big board is Tua Tagovailoa still, and I do have some injury concerns, obviously with the ankle. And this is two years in a row. Read my scouting notebook today when the, this podcast comes out. Uh, you'll see what NFL scouts are saying about it. I still love Tua. Uh, I've compared him in a lot of ways to Drew Brees with his touch, with his anticipation, uh, his toughness, his mobility. I feel like we have heard a lot of people knock Tua because the talent around him, but like a Deshaun Watson at Clemson, he really uh, takes that talent and he makes it better. I, I think he really does bring everyone to the next level. Look at Devonta Smith. I mean, look at the guys that he's elevated. So I love Tua. Number four on my board, and I'll go ahead and say it, I have him compared to Jalen Ramsey, and he will be the top-graded corner for me since Jalen Ramsey. So it'll be Pat Pete and Jalen Ramsey will be the only two guys ever above him. That's Jeff Okuda, a junior at Ohio State. I absolutely love the way he plays football. He's physical. He can play man. He's agile enough to play zone. He's very aware. We've seen ball skills when teams do throw his way, which is not very often. Okuda is prototypical corner. I mean, six foot one. 200 pounds. He can he can do it all. It's just easy scouting. It's like you can watch three games with Akuda, body type this dude, and put your pen down because it's over. He's that good. Yeah, I really like him too, but that leaves me with a great pick. Uh, you talk about one of the best corners that you've seen comparing him to other guys. I haven't been doing this as long as you, Matt. 
But this is the best linebacker I have ever seen, and that's Isaiah Simmons. And if you want to play him at linebacker, cool, go for it. If you want to play him at safety, I don't give a shit. Just get this guy on the defensive side of the ball. You know what? Just get him on the field. I don't care if it's offense or defense. He's one of the best athletes I've ever seen. 6'4", 230. I, he does everything. I Really, he covers well. He tackles well, and we're even seeing him get after the quarterback this year. I really think that if the team wanted to, they could put him out at at rusher, put him in a 3-4 defense. You don't have to take him off the field. He is a special, special talent. Uh, I love Jalen Smith before he got hurt. I I think he's better than that. That's a good take. He's number five on my board right now. I think that he is the best linebacker. Even Jalen Smith, I don't know that Jalen Smith could rush the passer like Isaiah Simmons can, and he can't cover. He is an exceptional cover linebacker, and I think he's doing well in the NFL still. He's not playing slot corner against receivers, not with that speed. So that's why I have Isaiah Simmons as the best linebacker I've ever seen. I love both those picks in round two because those are impact defenders that you can do so many different things with. I think when you look at a shutdown a corner like Okuda, his value will probably stick right around in the top five all year. Isaiah Simmons, the kind of chess piece he is, I mean, it's hard to imagine him being outside the top ten unless a lot of these quarterbacks come up. To close out round two, I'm going with Andrew Thomas because I think he's the best offensive lineman in this class right now. I have him as my number five overall prospect. I think the biggest question teams will have, it'll be the Jonah Williams situation. You know, is he big enough to be a tackle? I think he is. He's listed at 6'5", 320. A lot of times guys are listed a lot bigger than they are. Everyone wants the six foot seven crazy wingspan tackle these days. I don't see problems like that with Thomas. And I think in the run game, He's just an ass kicker. I mean, this guy moves people out of the way. In the rain against Kentucky, DeAndre Swift was constantly running behind him. He gets to the second level. He's a great athlete for an offensive lineman. I really, really like Andrew Thomas. And then right after him here, uh, my number six overall prospect is C.D. Lamb. And that might seem very high to some people, having him over Henry Ruggs right now. But I've seen such a rounded out game from C.D. Lamb. And I always use the phrase that he's open four feet over his head. Uh, He's nasty, uh, aggressively attacking the ball in the air and you know what he could do after the catch in that Oklahoma offense so Judy is the number one wide receiver I totally understand that but if somebody takes CD in the top 15 and wants him to be their number one I think he fits the bill very easily yeah, I agree with you. I have him 14 overall, and he is listed at 6'2", 189. I think he looks smaller than that. He plays bigger than that. Yes. He plays like he's six foot four. I really like CD Lamb too. I'm going to go with def- defense here Derek Brown has been just skyrocketing up my big board. Uh, I had him as like a fringe first-round guy. Now I have him all the way in the top 10. I really like what he's able to do, how he's able to create pressure. Uh, I don't care if you double-team him. He can work through. He doesn't have the big numbers this year, but that's because he's seen double teams almost every game. I really like Derek Brown. I think he can fit in any scheme. Just get him in there. He's going to wreak havoc. He's going to be a day one starter for almost any team. Yeah, and I I love both those guys. Connor, to your point, I have Henry Ruggs and CeeDee Lamb tied on my board. There we go. And and the beauty of the fact that Melo and I work together, especially on Draft 400, is we compare a a lot of notes. And so a lot of people are like, I'm tired of you guys agreeing, but it's because we talk about prospects constantly. So my comp uh, for CeeDee Lamb is DeAndre Hopkins. Just that catch radius, the toughness. Even though he's not a very big guy, he's so incredibly tough. And Melo, I have Derek Brown at 8 overall. So I agree. His rise has been phenomenal this year. I had a fringe 1 on him as well. I thought last year he would have been a 2. He has definitely improved this year. Uh, That leads me to my guys at number three and I think everyone knows at this point like this will be a player that my name is attached to this year and that's LSU quarterback Joe Burrow he's number five on my big board I've compared him to Jimmy Garoppolo I don't think he has elite arm talent I don't think he has elite mobility but I think he has really good arm talent and I think he has really good escape ability what I love about Burrow is number one that swagger and the character that he brings. Also, the fact that he is a risk taker on the field, but doesn't turn the ball over. It's like a lot of guys say, oh, they're gunslingers because they, they throw interceptions. Burrow takes those same chances. He just doesn't throw picks. So I love that about him. I think his accuracy is really, really good. And he is, like I said with Tua, he's elevating the play of those around him. He has done so much better now that he's in an NFL-style system. So I love Joe Burrow. Next for me would be A.J. Epinesa, who has been quiet this year compared to last year. I know we all expected 
a huge breakout season for him now that he's a full-time starter. I think Big Ten offensive linemen have really keyed on him and really tried to take away what he does playing that right defensive end spot. But I still like A.J. Epinesa a lot. I think he could be a Cameron Hayward or, uh, you know, it maybe... I don't. I guess Cameron Hayward's probably the best comp that I have for him right now. He'd be that type of of end player. There's going to be some debate about is he an edge? Is he a defensive lineman? That's going to become scheme specific. I think Epinesa can play with his hand in the dirt, whether that's in a four technique, a five technique, a six technique. He is just incredibly talented at that Iowa defensive end spot. Yeah, and I'm up next here, round four. I'm going to go with a corner. I like the cornerback class a lot this year. I really think it has a lot of depth, and it also has two six foot one corners who are still playing very well. And I'm going to go with CJ Henderson, a guy that I've been very high on. Uh, since the since April. I, I've really liked him watching his game. He's missed a couple games due to injury, but that has not slowed him down. If you test this guy, he still has nine passes defense this year. Uh, I like him. I like his range, his speed to recover. His ball skills are exceptional. I don't care if corners tackle. That is not important to me. I'm putting these guys out there on an island, shut down a receiver, Get in the way of a running back and turn him back inside. If you can shut down a receiver, that's what you're paid to do. No one is out here going to pay Jalen Ramsey because he also plays in the run game. That It's irrelevant. Like It's a great bonus. It's like if you have a receiver who can also contribute as a special teamer. It doesn't matter if they can tackle. Give me C.J. Henderson. He can shut down a side of the field. Love this kid. I'm raising my hand. I think he had eight tackles last week. I know like the... Twi- I don't know what had it. I don't. I really don't know. I don't know if someone put out a stat like, "Oh, CJ Anderson can't tackle." I don't know if a prominent draft voice said that. I believe he had eight tackles last year. I mean, so he's got a sack already. I this think year. it's the difference between can he tackle and is he trying? Does to he tackle? want to? <laughs> it, or what's the coaching staff telling him to do? Like, you want to go get your star he's corner hurt, making a tackle? Maybe I love him. Six it's okay one to ankle bite a little. Two o two. Great speed. Great ball skills. That's what I want in a corner. Uh, time's a flat circle because I feel like we're talking about Greedy Williams a year later all over yeah. again. It was this yep. time last year that everyone was like, oh, Greedy doesn't want to tackle anyone. It's like, yeah, Who but he's, cares? he's yeah. long, fast, and he can cover. So that mm-hmm. kind of matters. How's he corner. doing now? Yeah. So, all right. To, clo- <laughs> to close out our, our uh, number four spot here, I'm going with my number 10 overall player. And the guy I think is the best overall running back in this class. That's DeAndre Swift. I love what he could do as a runner, as a pass catcher. He's phenomenal. He really is. When he gets to the second level of the field, he'll make you look absolutely stupid. It was fun watching him against Kentucky as he's breaking an ankle tackle. He also spins out of one in front of him. He's a special skill player. And I think he's going to be a really fun NFL player. And then to kick off uh, and end my list here at number five, the player right after Swift at number 11 overall on my board, Tristan Wirfs. He's playing right tackle this year. It's interesting to watch him because I think he is a good player. I'm wondering how much the NFL is going to value him and feel. And I know Matt said on the midweek show, there's a belief he could play left tackle. So I think the ceiling is very high for Wirfs. And I really like where he's at right now. I think he's one of those players that can climb from this number 11 spot or even fall to the back end of round one. But he's going to be at the top of this O-line class with people like Andrew Thomas and and somebody even like Trey Smith at guard. I, I like that pick. I have Werfs. I was looking at it. I have him at 16 overall, but I really need to look into him more uh, because I watched uh, Gross Mottos absolutely destroy that offensive line uh, last him. year. So I need to watch him more. My next guy, close it out. I, I can't go a draft here without mentioning Jonathan Taylor. I really like him. I think he's done his job on the field. The only questions are going to be how many carries he had at the college level. He seems to be correcting the fumble concerns and whether or not he can catch. So I really like Jonathan Taylor. I'm going to take him here. I hope he gets to the 6,000-yard mark. I hope that he gets drafted into the first round. He's probably not going to be drafted by my team, but I think any team that gets him is going to be happy with his production. Man, I'm surprised because I really thought I, it would be hard to get to this point and still have like good players on the board. But I actually have two players in my top 10 still available. So I'm going to mention both. Uh, Henry Ruggs is my number 10 overall player. I've compared him to Tyreek Hill. I believe he has elite legendary speed. I know his route tree is limited and he might be scheme specific, but I do believe Henry Ruggs is a top 10 player in this class. The player I'll actually select here is number nine on my board. That's Grant Delpit. And I know you guys mentioned he hasn't jumped off the screen as much this year. I feel like he's having a Derwin James 
final season where you watch him play and you're like, ah, God, like you're not doing the things you used to. Maybe he is holding back a little bit, trying to protect himself for Sundays. But I still think when it comes down to testing and when you get into the character and the board work, I, I do think Grant Delpit's going to be an early pick, not a very early pick because safeties just aren't drafted that early, early, excuse me. But for me, he's going to be a top 10 player in this class. Tweet at us at stick to football, leave in your iTunes review. Let us know what you think of our top 15 draft here. Also, if you're watching on YouTube, don't be afraid to hop in those comments. When we come back, we're going to answer your draft on draft questions. All right, guys, it is time for draft on draft. We got four great ones coming at you this week from Bart. Upa, who we saw at the Wisconsin game. Great guy. Should I stay or should I go? which that song should be stuck in my head all fucking night. Which underclassmen should stay in school and which one should declare? I thought of a couple uh, in between segments here, but I'll, if you guys have one, I don't want to just be that guy that's, that you know takes them all. I, I actually, I'm going to, I'll go first. Jake Fromm, the quarterback. I think that all these other guys, we're seeing them rise up the board. He needs to go back to school. I, I like Jake Fromm. I still have him pretty high on my big board as a quarterback. It's just not... It's not great this year. Uh, he hasn't come out and proven that he can be that number one pick, that quarterback that can lead your team. I love his intangibles and what he does in the locker room, and everybody at Georgia says great things about him. He's got to back it up on the field. You can't throw the what, three interceptions against South Carolina and lose. I think that he should come back to school. I think that he is one of those guys that is just a traditional college quarterback, stay for four years, go back and own Athens like David Pollock does. Go back to school if you're Jake Fromm. That's the big one that steps into my mind. I think he should go back. I have one that might surprise you guys a little bit. I think LaVisca Chenault should go back to school because I think he's going to get buried in this wide receiver class, and Colorado has not had a good year, and that has not done him many favors. As we talked about when we picked the USC game, the last two games they've played, they haven't really been scoring any points. They've been blown out. I usually say skill guys should just leave. But man, do you? I mean, there's no chance he can climb over Judy Ruggs, C.D. Lamb, T. Higgins, and Chanel has talent. Where you think he he should be in that conversation? It feels like he's completely fallen out of it recently. Well, I was going to take Jake from, so I appreciate that, Mello. Um, I, I think an interesting one would be Terrell Lewis at Alabama, who's a redshirt junior. Alabama guys um, traditionally come out early, but we've seen it lately with like Raquan Davis. I believe Jonathan Allen also went back to school for his senior year. So uh, we could see this. And I think with Lewis, who flashed last week against Tennessee, we haven't seen this dude healthy a lot. So he's one that I would like to see him go back just to see him healthy. Now, redshirt junior means he's probably going to graduate, which means he's probably senior bowl eligible. So there would be a chance there to see a little bit more of him. So I, I think he's a guy that could go back. A guy that I think should come out, that's K.J. Hamler. I don't know a small guy like that. If you've flashed at receiver, and we've talked about him a lot lately, he's 5'9", 165 is what he's listed at. You're probably a top 50 pick at this point. I would go because small receiver to me screams injury potential. And I know it's football. Everyone has injury potential. But if I'm KJ Hamler, I'm thinking about getting to the NFL sooner than later. Yeah, and I know he has a very good relationship with quarterback Sean Clifford. So I don't know if he is going to come out. But I agree with you that strike while the iron's hot. I think that another guy, obviously, Tua has to come out yes, he as does. well. If you look at guys like that, no one else like Chase Young, Jerry Judy, Jeff Okuda, if any of those guys went back to school, I would be happy as a college football fan. Tua, he's got to get out of there. He has to go to the NFL. Like the injury concerns, he's one torn ACL from going into the second or third round. He has to go out. He's got to come what out. What would you guys say about Eason? Tricky. Uh, Eason is he's tricky. so tough for me. It, right now, I think it's probably too early to tell, but if he can get into that second, third, fourth quarterback range, first round range. I think he's got to yeah. come out. Uh, he's a guy who's going to have one year, his freshman year as a starter, this year as a starter, and then spent his sophomore year in a redshirt year on the bench. So he's experienced. He's a two-year starter. I think that he could probably come out and be I would okay. love for him to go back just because I, I would like to see more tape from him. And I, I feel like Washington, that's a young football team. They might actually have a chance to do something next year. But like, I'm not going to begrudge the guy if he comes out. I will just say this, and I know like a week ago we kind of like we upset some people at Oregon for the comments very, very much like this. But what I have been told, this is not my opinion. What I have been told is like there's some people that just really don't get that like franchise quarterback vibe from Jacob Eason. It's not that again, it's not that he has. This isn't Zach Mettenberger. It's not Jameis Winston. There's nothing you know like that off the field. It's just that there's you. 
there's not a lot of maturity, I, I guess is the best way to put it. I'm trying to summarize what I've been told without using the exact language. So I think with Eason, um, that might be a thing where he just has to work a little bit on how he'll interview. Yeah, I, I would agree with all of that. So there, Oregon. I've also said something about Washington's quarterback. We're even, right? <laughs> you guys won, and I said something about both sides. Everybody's happy. All now, right. Now you haven't mentioned Stanford or their quarterback. Or right? He's not good, or I would. Oh, right. there you go. David Shaw. <laughs> Carly Seibert wants to know, what makes Jerry Judy a better prospect than someone like Odell other than speed? Ooh. So, again, and I, I'm not trying to be that guy that's like, ooh, anonymous sources, anonymous sources, because I didn't buy into this. But when Odell came out of LSU, and I, I have the DMs, I can send you all screenshots if you want them. Something that happened a lot with Odell was he loved soccer, not football. And he got knocked for this by a lot of teams. It's why Sammy Watkins went ahead of him. It's why Mike Evans went ahead of him. Teams were like, yeah, this guy's really love football. And you know what? I don't know if he does really love football, but he's really, really good at football, and he's content to play it and make himself a lot of money at the sport. But at the time, there was that concern. Also, I mean, you have to flash back to 2014. Small receivers were like kind of falling out of favor, and Odell's not a big guy. So there was also that everyone wants the big Calvin Johnson-type receiver. They want Julio Jones. That's why Mike Evans was the number seven pick in the draft. So I think with Odell, you know, being at the time like 185 pounds, people didn't love that about him. Yeah, I agree with you. And when you look at Odell, he didn't have crazy numbers coming out. He had 59 catches, 1,100 yards, and eight touchdowns in his junior year. I think a lot of people started to catch on with how great he was, was through the draft process. After he had already declared, a lot of people were mentioning even Jarvis Landry. Zach Mettenberger was even kind of a hot topic during that season. And then afterwards, people really started to realize, you know what? Yeah, this Odell Beckham kid, he is actually pretty good. Blazing fast speed, he just... Never was really in an offense in college that exploited what he could do despite having the 1,100 yards, eight touchdowns, which was a good year. It's just Odell Beckham's one of the best and most most athletic receivers we've ever seen. LSU didn't use those guys right, and everybody knows that. Yeah, that was a funny class because you had Sammy Watkins go in the top five, and he was a little banged up while at Clemson, but Odell and Brandon Cooks fell down the board a little bit, and obviously Mike Evans has been great. He just needs to go to a team that starts winning some games, and he'll get a little bit more publicity. I think with Judy... And this conversation is going to happen for Ruggs, too, who's not an overly big guy. It's just going to be how you see. I think Judy fits in any offense. I want to be clear with that. But I think there are teams that overvalue size at wide receiver. I personally don't anymore. I think if you could play, it's just a conversation we just had with CeeDee Lamb. Evan has a top 10 prospect. I don't care that he's not 6'3". He plays like he is. So I think that's the most important thing to note here. And I think Judy is somebody that's so pro-ready for what he does before and after the catch that the value on him will be gigantic when the draft comes. Do you guys want to hear something funny? Okay, so the 2014 draft class, all right, it was Sammy Watkins, Mike yep. Evans, Odell, um, and Brandon then Cooks. Brandon Cooks, obviously. Here's like they're the top eight receivers in this draft were really, really good. Okay. Then you had Devontae Adams, oh, you God. had uh, Allen Robinson, you had Jarvis Landry, Marquise Lee's not terrible, Dante Moncrief. But I had a uh, fucking Cody Latimer at six, this number six receiver in this class. And I wish I could stab myself with this blue pin because like all those great receivers, and I had broken foot Cody Latimer from Indiana as the number four. Six receivers. Wasn't Kel- yeah, but he was big. He had Wasn't size. Kelvin Benjamin in that class? I hated him. Yeah, he was. I don't know if he, he was. He was bad. I thought Kelvin Benjamin. Yeah, he was in that class. I had him as the 12th receiver. I, like, you remember Lefko's Derek Barnett ran about the fat yeah, pass yeah, yeah. rusher? That was me with Kelvin Benjamin. He was so big in college. He was so slow. He yeah. couldn't do anything. Couldn't get open. I maintain that I was right about that one. Devonta, we don't, oh. nobody talks about enough. Not only how good Devontae Adams is, but how much of a steal he was at 53 overall. Pa- okay, I had him at 35. Paul Richardson so, went eight picks earlier than him. Jordan Matthews yeah. went way before him. I didn't like him either. It's crazy. One of the, like I what feel like Melo and I talked about this on a road trip once. Receiver is the one position that I feel pretty good about my historical record. There's going to be a Cody Latimer in there every now and then. But oh, yeah, yeah. Number six receiver in a class I'm okay with, but... 
Man, if I had to, like, if it was, like, scout for your life, receiver's the position I'm picking. <laughs> Hunger Games receiver's <laughs> right? evaluation edition. Which, I don't know what kind of fucking reality show that would be, but it'd be a fun one. All right, two more questions. We on the NFL Network or something. Right? Tucker Franklin asks, if you could take an NBA player and turn him into a football player, we who would it be in what one. position? <laughs> LeBron at tight end. I mean, LeBron. <laughs> is, yeah, LeBron at tight end. Yeah. Well, even, like, is it now? Because... He didn't look that great the other night. <laughs> no, he didn't. So I'm going to take Kawhi Leonard in mm. those gigantic hands and put him out wide or put him in the slot. I, yeah, I think he's yeah. athletic enough. Uh, he gets the steals. He plays defense. He's going to work hard. Make him a slot receiver, outside receiver. Those hands can catch everything. I'll tell you, your guy's, uh, your guy's uh, boy, R.J. Barrett, played pretty good for my Knicks on the opening night. How about... So I have a, a take with our friend group that R.J. Barrett is better than Zion Williamson. And let me tell you, I don't follow the NBA, but there will be 82 texts in that group chat this year. Basically, every time R.J. Barrett does something better than Zion, who's hurt right now? Yeah, for like the next six weeks. I, yeah, you're we need him to okay. save us, so I hope so. I, yeah, I think we've answered this question before, and we haven't in a while. So I really like that Tucker sent this one in. The go-to answer has been LeBron at tight end, but it, it probably is time for us to move on to something else. I mean... Is this Giannis's league now with the oh, NFL? Where's he going to put him at tight end? He's seven foot tall. I know. I like, where's he going to play? Put him wherever you want. I, he's an exceptional athlete. I don't as watch well. enough NBA to be Russell like, Westbrook at corner. That's an obvious one. That one just popped in the yeah, old that's brain. A good one. Uh, I, he's so quick, and with the twitchy muscles, he could keep up with everybody. This is your segment. I don't watch basketball. Well, I've given you like three. Yeah, guys. So there you go. There's like. <laughs> Can I name 10 active NBA players? Probably not. Uh, yeah, I'm trying. Kevin Love at quarterback because I've seen him throw, throw the ball. The, I've seen him do the, <laughs> the length play. of the court. Right. Uh, I think that's a good one, too. Okay. That is a fun question. That's more like what we do Summer. on uh, our Saturday radio show. <laughs> there you go. So. That, too. When I, when I can prep. All right. Caleb Edwards. Last question. I know it's early, but who are some prospects to watch for 2021 or what even 2022? You guys know this is my favorite thing to do <laughs> in the whole world is get way too far ahead of ourselves. For 2021, it's I mean it's Justin Fields, it's Trevor Lawrence, Jamar Chase, the receiver at LSU, Rondell Moore. Micah Parsons, the linebacker at Penn State. Um, uh, what's the the Sertan dude at Patrick at Alabama that you really really? Oh <laughs> Patrick, yeah, Sertan, yeah. <laughs> he's really really good. Uh, that's an obvious one. Uh, I'll throw out an offensive lineman for you, uh, Sewell at Oregon. You've been tweeting about this dude all week. He is great. I love him. The way that he moves, the way that he run blocks and pass blocks. Uh, I'm I'm in on him early. I think that he could be one of the best tackles we've seen in a very long time. I like Andrew Thomas. I love Sewell. Uh, I got to go with who you talked about earlier in the show. It's Stingley for 2022. Yeah. He would be the only 2022 guy that I feel like I've really watched. Like, as yeah. far as true freshmen I go, mean, there are... Yeah, there are a lot of freshmen, but how many of them are really making a true impact? I think he's the only one, at least that comes to mind. And I know that somebody's going to tweet me, like, how the hell could you You forget about this guy? But Jake Smith at Texas, like, I don't know. (laughs) Oh, Justin (laughs) Ross for 2021 is a good one. Yeah. Yeah. Trevor Lawrence as well for 2021. Ronnie Bell. I like Ronnie Bell a lot. He's like Michigan's best receiver, which I did did not see that one coming at all. So it'll be fun. The next few classes are going to be good. Uh, a benefit of us covering college football now is I think we're earlier on these guys, and we don't have to have that asterisk of, like, oh, we're not talking about these guys because they're not draft eligible. Fuck that. We're talking about them all the time now. We're talking about everybody. So that is our show. Reminder, next week, Connor and I will be in London for most of it. So you will get a show on Monday morning. You'll get a show on Wednesday morning. That Monday show will be our tailgate tour spot from O'Neill's on Carnaby Street. And then Wednesday, Connor and I will be in our London office uh, breaking down. I think it'll be a mock draft Monday. I don't know. We'll do something fun. We'll probably just drink warm beer and eat That's fish and right. chips. That's right. And that'll be the entire what show. We're planning on doing. <laughs> I'm so sad that I'm not going. You really they have me sold with the warm in, uh, beer. England. Yeah. I don't think. Uh. The can's red, white, and blue. I don't think they do have it. All right. Thank you guys for hanging out with us. We'll talk to you next week. Mm-hmm.